All right. Some of you already look tired. It is like way too early in camp week to be exhausted. I saw that yawn out there. He sits at my table too. I don't know what's going on. So I thought, you know, a good preacher always gives you one thing to remember. If you get this and you fall asleep, you still got the main point. How's that? Because uh, sometimes that just, it has to happen. I won't ever yell at you or call you out. But if you remember this, by a strong hand and for his glory, God goes before and saves. Let me say that one more time so you can say amen to it and like be right, okay? By a, by a strong hand and for his glory, God goes before and saves. Amen? That, just let that stick in your head because you're going to hear it from an Old Testament direction. You're going to hear it from a New Testament direction as we try and bring uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So find your way there because you may need help saying the memory verse from last night. I think I might as badly as I struggled in front of you last night. So I'm not going to do this every night. Like this probably is it. But let's just look at and try and say together if the slide can come up. 1 Corinthians 10 and I think we're on verse 11. That would help if you knew that, right? So if you need to look in your text, I'm going to misguide you. If I don't, let's say it together. Ready? 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And we talked about the weight of that. Like we are on mission as God's people at the end of this age. And as I was talking to someone today, they said, I mean, could it be like right now? And it could be. And, and so it just ramps me up mission-wise. You would think the older I get, the tireder I would get, and that I'd be less passionate about this, but that is not true. I just feel like every year I must, I, I feel a compulsion to invest more because I am constrained by the love of Christ for me and for you that we would speak this to each other and to the world. Um, when I think of this idea of the earlier part of this verse where these things are written down for instruction, there's an example. Maybe the reason this passage has been rattling in my head for a long time and I'm like, I really want to teach on it somewhere why I worked on it for hunting last year and, and here at family camp is because of my dad's parenting style. You've heard a little bit about Scott's family. My family, I grew up in a home that loved Jesus, a mom and a dad. And my dad and mom committed to follow Christ so that they went to Bible college with four children in tow. My dad left being an architectural engineer. We lived on the family farm and uh, we moved 1,200 miles. My dad went to Bible college. And, uh, and his first church was terrible, just so you know. But, you know, four years of Bible college, first church was horrible, hard, and difficult. And I watched my parents at every one of those stages absolutely trust that Christ was it. But they had not been discipled. And so there were many things as they're trying to parent that as now they tell us the truth on. You know what I mean? And, and we thought they were just really spiritual. So we, I would come to my dad. This even happened while I was a teenager. My dad's already a pastor now. And I'd come to him and say, Dad, I mean, what do I do? Because I'm one of these hyper kids that talks really fast. What do I do about this problem at school and, da, 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 and all this stuff? And, you know. and my dad would say, hmm, that's very interesting. Every good dad knows he's buying time. But he said, that's very interesting. I want you, I just have a little assignment for you. I want you to go find some character in the Bible that experienced a similar type struggle. 
I'm like, oh, it's genius. And I would do that over and over. I'd go and find an example. I'd bring it back to him. I said, don't you think this relates? And by then my dad had figured out what kind of answer to give me. You know, he confessed this years later. He goes, I would give you that assignment because I had just had no idea what to tell you. But my dad was so very right. Isn't the Spirit of God awesome that when we as parents don't know what to do, God fills in the gaps over and over and over. My dad was absolutely being biblical. He was saying, let the Old Testament be that example for you. And sometimes I came back with cockamamie ideas. He corrected them. You know, I misappropriated who Israel is and all this stuff. And he had to correct my theology a number of times. But he taught me to seek in God's word. He taught me that every part of it is written for our instruction as example. And I need to think and learn how to apply that to life. And then he just made sure when I came back that it was hitting in the right place. So... Uh, we've been thinking that that's why these Old Testament stories, if you're still in 1 Corinthians 10, that the first few verses start listing out stories, and we're going to cover kind of the first set of story tonight that is mentioned in just two lines in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2. But before we do that, I want to keep interjecting verses from 1 Corinthians 10 that happen later, because all of these Old Testament stories... They're listed just with one line each, um, which you might want to go find them later for fun, uh, figure out which story where, what part of the Bible, and we'll get to them as we go this week. But these stories that are written down for our, our learning as an example so that we do not desire evil like they desired evil, as it says in verse 6, but they're written down so that we would understand that the God of those stories, and when I say story, I'm not saying that it's made up, by the way, it's just recounting what actually happened. That the God of the Old Testament who was this in each of these stories is behind the commands and the direction that Paul gives right here. So the next verse that we're going to memorize come up. It's kind of short, so we might be able to handle it. It says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed what? Lest he fall. Let me tell you, every one of the stories in the Old Testament that we're going to crack this week, there are people that are falling with grave consequence. And that truth that falling creates often very grave consequence is still true today. And he says, take heed. Like, pay attention. Why? Because if you think you stand, like if you're here tonight and you're like, I can't believe we're going over this some more. I got this. If you think you have this, I'm telling you, this this very verse by itself would say take heed. Because you might, I mean, you think about Chad's story tonight, which I didn't know he was going to share a piece of that. But he knew a lot of theological truth that relates to that horrendous life-changing event that his family went through. But let me tell you, he had never been tested in that way. His theology was true, but he had never been tested in that way, right? So take heed, right? If you think that you stand, and it really keeps us from judging other people that are falling down. Because if we judge other people that are falling down, and some of you are here this week, you're like, yeah, I'm that dude. I fell down. I'm, I'm I'm on the dirt right now and don't know what to do. Let me tell you, all of us hit the dirt, just some of us know it. And some think they stand, and they've already fallen, or they will shortly. 
So if we understand this verse, boy, the judgment goes out, and we start listening to the scripture even tonight, not for other people in the room or not for what we're going to say to them, but for our own soul. Let's try and say this together. Ready? 1 Corinthians Take heed lest he fall. Let's just do one of these. Noah, make, click a slide. We don't care. We're so good. We have this. That one? <laughs> Never give Noah control. That's what I'm thinking. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. All right. Now, it would be unfair for me to teach this Old Testament passage that is listed in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 without telling you it also applies not just to that verse, but look at verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. These Old Testament passages, each one will study, is 4, verse 12, 13, 14. And so be thinking pieces of all those, and by the end of the week, maybe we'll be good at thinking those together. Remember, as we study, well, let me take you. So 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, here's the story. He says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, if you're listening carefully, there were two words that were repeated. What were the two words? Cloud and? Very good. So the Old Testament passage, guess what two words are going to be repeated? Very good. Now we can listen to them in a moment when we get to that Old Testament passage. One last thing before I read. Remember, we're working on two questions as we listen to the Old Testament. And the two questions, first one is, how might I relate to the characters in the story? One of my prayers for tonight in each of these messages is that you wouldn't get lost in the volume of things that are in the passage. There's a lot of characters. Matter of fact, on your sheet, I think I left them blank in your notes. I will give them to you, the ones I'm going to talk about. I have like 10 or 11, I didn't count them here, 10 or 11 characters that we're going to talk about out of this story. Don't try and be every single one of them. Just sit back, listen to the scripture, trust the Spirit of God, because he's at work right here. Trust the Spirit of God to show you which one or two that you really ought to ponder about, okay? Don't think about other people right now. Just think, okay, God, which one of these characters, is there something about them that would help me? And, and so as I read the passage, just start listening for characters that come up and what's happening to them and what takes place. The second question that we're going to talk about is what do you learn about God from this story? And how would that influence your thinking and your actions? So I want to read this story. If you want to follow along in your text, you can. Exodus 13, verse 3. And I, I tell preachers all the time, never read more than like six verses at a time because we're not very good at listening. But I think this story is like so bananas exciting that you're going to have to listen to a little bit more, okay? And just let it build. And I'll try and emphasize the right things. So if you want to, again, just sit back and listen. Some of you are better just listening. Some are better following along. You work at that. Exodus 13, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, 
Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Now, if you underline your Bible, that last statement, by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place, you're going to find that it shows up multiple times in the next few verses. So that's an important one. He says, no unleavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Bib, you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. Sometimes people read scripture like, so what? Like, why? You should ask that question, by the way. Why all this talk about leavened bread and a ceremony at a certain time and everything else? Well, it's the next line that matters. Verse 8, he says, you shall tell your son on that day. This tells you something about God. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So what were the sons supposed to know? That with a strong hand, what? Yeah, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. The emphasis on the Lord there. It's repeated. God cares about remembering the right things. Verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons shall you redeem. And when in time... Uh, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Now, I don't know about what kind of business plan some of you wrote for your business. We're in Iowa. There's a lot of farmers. This, is a, an apparent, this looks like a very flawed business plan, just so you know. I mean, why would you take the firstborn and I either have to offer something from the other part of the herd or break its neck? I mean, it's a loss, is a loss, is a loss. And I mean, can you imagine a young son who's hoping to inherit the family fortune? He has to be going, what are you doing? Father, it's a perfectly good donkey. You know, I mean, can you imagine if your dad bought a brand new pickup? And he comes home and he goes, son, this is the first pickup I've ever had. Brand new. So beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. We got two choices, son. We can give it to the preacher. This is a good story, isn't it? No, I'm just <laughs> That would be a misappropriation of the Old Testament. Give it to the preacher or let's just take a sledgehammer to it. And your son would be like, okay, like, I like Corvettes, not... Not pickup trucks, your son might say, but that seems ludicrous, Father. Give it to me, I'll sell it, buy something else, you know? Like he would think, that is terrible. And it would create a conversation, don't you think? It would create a conversation. And in that conversation, the dad should say, by a strong hand, you don't seem real sure about that. I mean, if you're going to destroy a pickup, you really need to know what you're going to say, okay? 
at least one line you've got to have right. And I, by the way, I don't think you should do that. By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery or bondage. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. The son had been going, man, do you, do you break my neck? No. You're redeemed. You're purchased. It shall be as a mark on your hand, frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God says, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones. This is, by the way, this is silly, but it's my favorite part of the story. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. I mean, I love Joseph. Man, had such confidence. He's like, pile my bones in a box, because they're going to the land that is promised, which Joseph didn't own a lick of, and his father, owned, you know, they owned a little property that someone was buried on. That was it. It was inhabited by all kinds of ites, Hivites, Jebusites, and whatnot. Okay, and they're, they're inhabiting that whole land, and, he, and they're, I mean, that is not theirs. It's not even overcomable. Matter of fact, the nations were even stronger in the day of Moses. Joseph's like, one day. I mean, this promise, three times in the book of Genesis, I'm telling you, pack my bones in a box, because they're going back. I love that. And somebody believed it all the way to Moses carrying them. And they went on from Succoth and encamped at Etham. And on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, there's our word, to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, chapter 14, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp, and I can't even say all these names by the sea, basically you're pinched, you're in trouble, and they encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, why did God put this here? There's probably a multitude of reasons. But here's one. This all happened in the witness of millions of people Pharaoh had not yet cornered them by the sea, and this is being spoken to the people. This is profound. You may have come to camp, and you're like, yeah, I don't know. This Jesus thing, it seems like came along late in life in the world. Should I really believe Jesus? How do we know the Bible's true? Isn't it written by men? Understand, in front of millions of people, this was predicted, these very things. Moses is talking to them and saying, it's going to be like such and such and such and such, down to the detail of Pharaoh's heart being hardened and that he's going to chase them and that they're going to be cornered. And this is how it's going to happen. He says in verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed, just like God promised. And they said, what is this that we've done? That we've let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot, took his army with him, took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. 
the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them in camp by the sea. When Pharaoh drew near, verse 10, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Um, I've never been in the military, but anytime I come anywhere near the military strength of a nation like the United States, it's impressive. There's a level of fear. I was in a, a deer stand one day uh, that a friend put up a ladder stand, and I was taking pictures of deer and whatever came by. He was hunting a little ways down, and we lived near a bombing range uh, where we were hunting, and I, I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, there is an F-16 flying just above the treetop that I'm in. Um, I could read the numbers on the guy's helmet. And I thought, that's really cool. And I thought, afterburners. And I started hanging on. And I'm telling you, my tree did one of these, you know, back and forth. And I was like, survive that. And then he had a partner. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, they came by one more time just to see, what is that stupid man? He's still in that tree, you know. And I'm thinking, that's all well and good. And they weren't there to kill me. I mean, what if they were there to eliminate me? It'd go badly. Let's put it that way. Can you imagine being Israel? Though there are millions of people, I mean, every modern-day tank of that day is bearing down on them. Not just Pharaoh's personal part of that arsenal, but all of his other allies within the nation that are at his disposal, they are screaming down behind them. And God in the cloud, creates a barrier. The people are afraid. And, and Moses, I mean, look at Moses. They said to Moses, let's start with their, their cry. In verse 11, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out into Egypt or out of Egypt? You know, because they had seen these chariots roll by. They knew what the dust looked like, right? They see it coming, they're like, I, we know what that is. Like, we are dead meat. He said, they said, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Their life was bondage and horrible. But they're not ready to break free, are they? He said, it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Moses uh, kind of left that out, didn't he? <laughs> uh, he didn't say, and I was crying to Jesus. But God says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the heart of Egyptians, so they shall go in after them. I will get glory over Pharaoh. He says, this is now the third and fourth time that he says, I will not just harden, but I will get glory over Pharaoh. And we know the story, don't we? You know the story? You know how it ends? Amen. Oh, yeah. I mean, let me tell you, lots of people who don't go to church know this story. It's still referenced because it is one of the most stupendous stories there ever was. I mean, it's ridiculous what happens in this story, right? I mean, so much so that, like, you can't even conceive of it, but he lifts his hands 
The wind comes down and drives the sea back, and there is dry ground, and the people go through it, and the cloud and fire together protect them. The, the Egyptian army comes into that area, and they are making hot pursuit, and what happens? God, God makes sure that it just, cra- well, they get befuddled, because he's got to get glory. He can't just kill them. But he befuddles them. He weights down their wheels that appears with mud in the story, and they begin to be frightened and discombobulated, and he pushes the water down on them, and the Israelites on the other side sing a song as they look at the dead Egyptians, chapter 15, because God is a God of war, and he protected his people as he promised. I look at the story and the work of God as he fought for them and the Lord through the Egyptians and he as the story ends in verse 30 the Lord saved Israel that day well let me try and summarize the saving of Israel and talk I think out of first Corinthians on why and how this fits together Uh, let's just start with some of the people I don't know which one of these people that you might relate to but I'm going to list them out kind of rapid fire first the sons Listen, and, and if you're those sons, okay, who are the sons? Well, there's just any son who comes along across the whole nation of Israel. There are sons today in the nation of Israel that should be told this story, and there are Jews who tell the story to this day. What, what should these sons do? Listen to the promises of God. And if we put it in the Corinthians context, escape and enjoy God. Why? God is faithful, and he's making a way of escape in 1 Corinthians, he's making a way of rescue. Why is God doing this? Because he wants relationship and fellowship with us. Why? Because he is a loving God and is chosen by his grace to have relationship with us. And some of us are like, but I wanted a Corvette. You know, like some of us, we just go like the wrong direction. I'm telling you, there is no place of rest eternally apart from being one of these sons who listens and has escape. You know how many times the sons of Israel didn't listen? I mean, how many times did Israel go astray? I mean, you don't have to go very far in a story, and they're out in the wilderness, having just seen chariots destroyed, the biggest might, military might of the age, wiped out. And all they had to do was be quiet. They had just seen that happen, and now they're crying because they're thirsty, right? And we're going to see some of those stories. I'm a son. I've been given those promises, not of land and Israel, but I'm a a son of God. I, I get to call Jesus brother. I get to call the father Abba, right? Daddy. He's mine. And, and he is presented in his word, remembrance. This story, remember his faithfulness. I better be careful. I'll preach all night just on sons. The next one, what about the firstborn sons? Generation after generation, firstborn sons. Watch their, the cattle around them. Watch the pieces. If Israel's faithful, which many times they weren't, they watch these sacrifices. They watch redemption. Firstborn son had been redeemed. Something had been paid for him. Don't you love that God gave a, a simple picture of what was going to happen on the cross hundreds of years before? 
Because each of us are firstborn sons if you trust in Christ, aren't you? Because my dad became a pastor. And let me tell you, that does nothing for me as far as getting to heaven. It does nothing for me regarding how I stand with God. I'm still sinner, no hope, apart from redemption. Redemption, it's just being purchased. Because whether you realize it or not, you're either in the army of darkness, as it says in the New Testament, or you might say the Egyptian army in this story. You're either in that army or you're God's kid having been redeemed. It's one or the other. You're either in darkness or in a kingdom of light. There's no middle ground. Let me ask you just right now, are, are you a firstborn? Are you? God extends that sacrifice available for each person here. You say, I've been so sinful. It didn't matter what the firstborn son in Israel is like. If the sacrifice was made, they're redeemed. Let me tell you, the sacrifice has been made. In a New Testament context, all you have to do is accept that sacrifice that it was made for you. Perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ on the cross dying for you so that your sins are removed. Are you one of the ites? That sounds terrible. But you know, I, I, some, I've had many unsaved people, people who do not yet trust Jesus. They look at me and say, it is so unfair that God gave that, nation, that, that landmass to Israel. I mean, these other nations were already there. How is that right? Let me tell you how that is right. Beyond the fact that God's in charge, you can do whatever you want. But God's not capricious. He says clearly in his word that he reached for three generations to all those ites with the truth of who he was as Yahweh, and they rejected him. Three generations. He kept calling out to them, say, even down to when the nation goes in, he continued to give escape, and there were a few that had that kind of escape. So let me tell you, it's just. There may be application for that in the fact that God is a judge that cannot be stopped. And you might take heed, you who think you stand, lest you fall. Because there are many big, proud men and women who appear to stand on earth with no need of God. Do never mistake the patience of God for him thinking you are something. Or that he does not exist. There will be a day where you will bend the knee. It says it clearly in scripture, both Old and New Testament. Because he is judge. And to ignore him as the one who has provided redemption is the most caustic, blasphemous sin we can do. Pharaoh. I mean, he's mighty. I look at, I read the news sometimes just because it's good to hear the crassness of all the leaders of the world and how big they think they are, how they understand all this stuff and they plan to do all these things. And to just remember, Pharaoh had no idea. And God said, I'm going to humble him. I'm going to make sure that I get glory. And when you tell the story of the nation of Israel escaping, I mean, Pharaoh's almost never talked about, and if he is, he's the loser. Just so we're clear. And many people tell the story who don't even believe in Jesus because it's historically true and it's laid down 
Pharaoh. He's humbled by the almighty king who controls all. The Egyptian firstborn soldiers and people, they resist God's plan. And they desire their desire of evil. It's, it's futile what they want to do. Moses, think about Moses here. He's really good in this story, isn't he? He, he did cry out to God in a little correction. And, and uh, I, almost as I read it, I think Moses could have had them escape by any means he wanted. Do you realize that? Because God, God said, why are you crying to me? Another, Moses had already told the people, you're going to be delivered by God. Just be quiet. God's going to do it. So Moses theoretically could have taken his own like, speech and just been quiet. Wouldn't that have been cool? Moses just go, walk up to the Red Sea and go. I think that would have been even cooler. You know, but God said, okay, lift your hand. We'll, we'll show the people what's going on. But I mean, he didn't, he, he, God gave him instruction after he cried. He didn't have to. He'd already told that God was going to do this. He literally could have just stood there. But God told him what to do. He did it great obedience, and he trusted God, and God did something that's, I mean, it's just beyond understanding. Joseph, I already talked about him. He believed the promise of God. I want to be Joseph on every day, and I want to be Joseph such that when they read my will, where I put the gospel, have you done that? When you write your will, because you're going to die or be raptured, one or the other, okay? But if I die, I want to be listened to one more time. It's just kind of a control thing, I think. But <laughs> so I made sure the gospel is in the first paragraph of the will. It is of my wife, too, because if I want my children, and if there are children's children, I want them to know that you don't have to carry my bones. I'm already there. And they're going to be raptured and catch up. I want them to know. I want to be Joseph. Every day, not just after I'm dead. The angel of the Lord, he's messenger, he's protector of the vulnerable in this story. The people, they're delivered. Um, just like it's promised us salvation from sin and the need to remember, I, I want to be those people. Let, let me just ask you, are, are you ready to be those faithful people? Because I travel in our churches and I've started to help pastors, and I've analyzed a bunch of churches, and I've yet to be called to come to a church where outreach, where the remembrance of what God has done in your life is consistently happening out of, and I'm going to say your, because I haven't been to your church, and I don't know you, but I'm just going to press you, where it is coming out your mouth. Do you live in such a way that those who God would want to be the firstborn, do you live in such a way where they look at you and go, what? smashing that truck seems stupid. Now, don't do that, okay? That's just an arbitrary illustration. But do you live in such a way that they look at you and go, why would you do that? We've had some talks with new neighbors, and they're kind of like, you moved from a, you were a mile away from your granddaughter, and you could have stayed in the position you're in? And I, and I kind of explained myself because I feel like they're going to think I love work or something. So I made sure quickly to, to explain how God fits in that dynamic and how our son knows that we have eternity together and that while we're on life, we're, while we're on earth here, we must be on mission. You could say amen to that. Not for us or our life. We're still figuring out how to do that, and we fail all the time. But I'm asking you, are you living in such a way as someone who's been redeemed that you speak it 
So that, and not, I mean, certainly to your kids. Okay, we're at camp. So this is the easiest place you're going to have to speak it. Speak your testimony to your children. Pastor Phil already encouraged you to do that, grandparents. Speak it. Tell them why you would be at camp. You may be grandpa who helped them all get here. I don't know. Then tell them why. It's not just because the blob is awesome. It is, okay? But it's because of who Christ is, why we'd spend our time on vacation listening to the word of God. And then what does that mean when we go home? What would it look like? Teens, sometimes you do this better than us adults. I'll just tell you. Our daughter has done some things, and um, she, would, she would say, Dad, don't tell the story because I've had some other things I didn't, didn't follow through correctly. But I'm telling you, our daughter gave up having the lead of their main play at school because she would not kiss on stage. She's like, I'm not kissing some dude. I mean, my kiss is saved for my husband. Amen? Well, you, you're just shaky on that. You need to... Your kiss is saved for your husband. You say, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'll do a stage kiss where I kiss my hand, but I'm not kissing some dude. And they say, well, then you can't have the lead. Okay, give me some other part. And the, and the teacher's like, why? Why would you not kiss? And she can give the gospel right there and did. She gave, she gave God runs my life and not theater. And she served. There other, another play she couldn't do because it was too, it was just, it was just not, it was not godly. And so she served in the background to be a team member and to love on people. But she couldn't put her name on it. You know what I mean? But she loved the people. And those are hard choices. Let me tell you, my daughter doing that makes me go, okay, am I living clearly enough to the neighbors, to the people at the hunting club? To wherever I walk, is that in place um, such that I have to bring this up because they're asking? And furthermore, do I live that way enough that I can just bring it up and it makes sense why I'm talking about it? The believers in Corinth, they're characters in this story, right? Don't miss this. Because the church at Corinth, I mean, they were upstanding church, right? Yeah, no. I mean... He had a son sleeping with his stepmom. That had to be dealt with. I mean, we're talking, this is a messed up church. Um, the good, God infused many good things spiritually in them, and then they misused them. And then they partied instead of doing communion, and uh, they were prejudiced and didn't care about poorer people in their church. And, I mean, it's pretty much like at every turn, they were goofing it up. I mean, he writes three letters to them, two that are in the Bible, and uh, Paul has pressed them so hard in one of his letters. He said, okay, I may, have, I may have pressed even too hard because they had started to repent. And Paul is still like, you need to listen, okay? And just think about that as you hear these stories because in these stories, there's intense consequence. Matter of fact, in Corinthians, he even says, some of you have died. No, you don't say that for the dead, by the way. You're saying that for the living. But some of you have died because you have not taken seriously the things of God. And he's not talking in the Old Testament. He's talking to church. He's talking to us. So God is still this serious as judge about what we do and why we do it. So, believers in Corinth, take heed. That may be us. Flee. Well, we, we, we said the verse that said take heed, didn't we? You who think you stand, take heed, lest you 
fall. Flee idolatry, he says. Trust faithful God for escape. Not about you, if I ended the sermon here, and I have six minutes, but I'm going to fly. If I ended the sermon here, it would just be mean. Because honestly, I can relate to every negative thing on that page at one point in my life or another. And there wouldn't be a whole lot of hope in this sermon. So let's look at who God is in this passage. Don't miss it, because it's the most important thing. Who's God? God is the one who prophesies and completes it. God didn't just have somebody stand up and say, okay, this is what you need to believe, some charismatic leader, follow that leader. No, God said, this is how it's going to take place. Earlier in the Pentateuch, he'd said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you seed. In other words, you're going to be a multitude of people. And he said a bunch of other things in promise. And he's just slowly carrying it out. It's said ahead of time, and everyone's hearing, and then God carries it out. Now, let me tell you, I don't care what you believe tonight. You have to do something with that. If you came in here and said, I don't know if I believe any of this. Well, let me tell you, then you need to start looking. you got to decide. Because if God said, I'm going to do this, and then over here, many, many years later, he does. And in the middle, Joseph says, yeah, put me in a box because it's going to happen. And it does. I mean, that's not contrived. Besides, this event is clearly recorded in Egyptian history. Okay, so like... There's no mistaking that it happened. People who don't even believe in Jesus quote this event, allude to it. Why? Because it is historical fact. You have to do something with that. And then you must ask yourself, why is it written this way? Well, it's written this way because God loves you. And he prophesied and he carried it out, something in a short period of time from history so that other things he said you could believe now that they will come true. For instance, I've never been to heaven. Matter of fact, if someone stands on a stage and says, I went to heaven, let me tell you about it, you should yank them off, okay? That's not how it works. But let me tell you, I know I'm going to heaven. Because God has promised, based on his work, and he has proven this, and, and I could talk all night, literally, how he's proven this through history and laid it down ahead of time and carried it out one snippet at a time, and then some of it's spoken, and we're still waiting. And let me tell you, I know it's going to happen. you got to do something with that. And there is no other belief structure on earth like this that lays it down, carries it out across time periods. I mean, no other nation has returned to its land multiple times, having been ejected okay, having had each one promised, and the return promised, and it come true. You'd think Satan would stand up and stop it, or some nation, or some glitch in history would have stopped it. There's no stopping what God promises. He's going to carry it out. God, too, look, I mean, that's this, his power, but then the second thing, God was with them. Those people who lived in Egypt, you realize the, the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, most of them didn't believe in Yahweh, okay, they didn't believe in the Lord, they were there. Moses was talking. They knew they had history of this guy, Joseph. But they were living in a culture that did not believe in God, that believed in all kinds of gods. And there's a muddled, confused. And so God brings them out and gloriously is with them and protects them and teaches them and guides them. God was with them. He was so with them, he, as promised, took them out of slavery and gave them freedom. God, third thing, God gives a way of escape in this story of ridiculous proportions by a strong hand. And let me tell you what that's for me. 
I step back and I go, there is no one that God can't redeem. You need to think that. There is no one that God can't save. We have watched people from every type of sin, every type of background. I mean, you just name it. Almost every single one of my deacons at one time had been drunks at an earlier time in their life as adults. And God said, you're mine. And he redeemed them, and they believed, and their life changed, and there was a long pattern of that. And then God said, you will be part of leading my church. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. Because God is with us. Let me tell you, he makes a way of escape. You may be in just wreckage that you think has no way out. I'm here to tell you, there's a way of escape. You may say, nobody knows how twisted up I am. There is a way of escape. You say, my mind doesn't even work right. One of our counselors at our former church, she pretty much gets up every day and believes that somebody's trying to kill her. Her first thought of the day, it was because of a lot of cocaine usage early in her life. Her brain doesn't track right. But the word of God and the testimony of the Holy Spirit every day pulls her into line and she walks and she helps people. And she lives faithfully with her husband. And she is balanced. Why? Because there is a way of escape. I mean, there's no way your escape is harder than what he did for the nation of Israel to a people who didn't even know him yet. And he gave them a stupendous, ridiculous way of escape. God desires remembrance and multiplication. You are supposed to tell the story of your redemption. You're supposed to tell the story of Christ's work on the cross, and it should come out of your mouth constantly. I think you should be bugged to death if you haven't told the story of the gospel in some way every week to someone. Even it's just to rehearse it with another believer because we need to be reminded how precious this is. We need to preach it at our soul every single day. Why? So that it multiplies. Do you think they told their son so their son could go, oh, that's nice, but I'm going to worship Buddha. No, that's not why they told their son this. They told their son because they wanted their sons and their daughters. They wore it on their forehead and they put it on the post of their house because they wanted their families to know And then David clearly tells us, along with Isaiah, that they were supposed to do that as a nation so that every nation would know and sing to God. That's what God wants. He loves remembrance. Did he give anything to the church to help us with the remembrance? Yeah. He gave us communion, the Lord's Supper, so that we would do this with our children and before the world. God patiently deals with those who desire evil. I love this. If this wasn't true, I'd have been dead and sacrificed by God, having no hope. Because I sinned right out of the gate as soon as I knew what sin was. But God is patient with me, as he's been patient with you. So patient that you are sitting here today hearing the way of escape. Amen? I mean, that's patience. Think about what you've done. I think about what I've done. He met me, redeemed me, saved me at five years old. And so my sin is way worse than those of you who have yet to believe, just so you know. Because I've known God since I was five. So almost all of my sin 
is done while I know God who lives within me. That is way worse than sinning when you don't know him. So let me tell you, I don't look down on you. I just look to Jesus and remember, he is patient for those who do evil. And he redeems. Last thing, God, the master communicator, pre-teaches redemption and rescue by a Savior. He taught it so we could see it. I mean, how can I see my sins be washed out of me? I, I can't, you don't see that, okay? Some people say, Jesus saved me, I just felt so different. That's not in the Bible. You might feel different. It wouldn't be wrong, actually. If you were thinking right about your redemption, you would feel differently. But sometimes we just understand and believe how God has redeemed us. And I don't know that there's necessarily always cataclysmic feeling. The Bible doesn't talk about that. But what the Bible tells us is that God took the Egyptian or took the Israelites out of Egypt. He showed a picture of what redemption is. He showed a picture of redemption the donkey dying so that they would remember that there's a cost and a price and it got them ready so that when Christ died on the cross, like, that's our redemption. That's what puts me into God's family. That's what makes me right and holy before God is Jesus Christ. He put that in front of us. I look at you tonight and uh, I've said already too many things. So I want to simplify it like this. Hopefully you've taken notes. Simplify it like this. Which character did God nudge you on? You may not have even written down clearly what it was about, but you know which character it is. Which one relates to where you're stepping right now? And maybe you're walking right down a path, as Pastor Phil's teaching us, or maybe you're needing correction. Maybe you're having some training tonight. I don't, I, whatever, I don't care what stage. I'm just asking you, which character... God's speaking to you. And then lastly, this screen, which one of these things must you really hold to? Chad, if you'd come. And uh, he's going to play through the song we, we ended with earlier. And while he's playing that, I want you to identify which character, which one of these. Leave this on the screen if you could, Noah, for a minute. And uh, while he's playing, I want you to talk to someone else in your row. You need to engage with this. It'd be a waste of time to come and just kind of, you know, just to someone else in your row, tell them which character you're thinking about. You don't have to tell them why. Just tell them which character. And tell them which one of the things about God do you want to resonate in your mind? Which one do you need to be gripping? Okay? And uh, just before you do that, I just say, if you're here tonight and you, you do not know what this redemption is, you, you do not know how it is that you could be a son of God, a daughter of of Jesus Christ. If you, if you don't know what that means, I'm just asking you, please talk to us. Um, we we want to be able to share that with you. So talk to your neighbor. And then when Chad has you sing, you can sing. Go ahead. <laughs>